So it's episode 13 of Honestly Unbalanced, and this week we chatted to Bettina Campolucci-Bordi. So Bettina spent her childhood surrounded by food from lots of different cultures. She grew up in Tanzania and Sweden and spent a lot of her youth in international food markets tasting global food. Uh, Eventually, she she set up Bettina's Kitchen, which today encompasses culinary yoga and mindfulness retreats plant-based cooking workshops, recipe development, food writing, and she's actually written two books, Happy Food and Seven Day Vegan Challenge. So in our little hustler household, we're obsessed with that happy food book and cook from it every day during lockdown. So yeah, enjoy the conversation, guys. This was a lockdown conversation, uh, so done remotely, but it's still awesome. Enjoy. Whether you're practicing from home at the moment or finally getting back to yoga studios, you could probably do with your own yoga mat. And the best ones I've encountered are the Lifeform yoga mats. Uh, with code AHUSTLER19, you get a discount, we get commission, win-win. Have a peek, that's a Lifeform yoga mat. Honestly unbalanced. Right, Patina, welcome. We're, uh, we're in lockdown at the moment. You're in lockdown. Normally, you're traveling the world constantly, both for life and for work. How is it treating you? I know. I've slowed down so much. Um, I'm, actually, I'm actually kind of enjoying it. I mean, there's parts of it. Of course, I, I love traveling and I travel lots for work, as you just mentioned. And I, I sort of get itchy feet. Uh, if I'm in the same place for too long, but I have to say that I've kind of, kind of enjoyed this slow process, and it's made me realise how busy I've been because sort of January and February was bonkers uh, in terms mm-hmm. of busyness because my latest book came out and it was crazy with uh, pop-ups and all all sorts of things and as you know last year we did a few retreats together last year was bonkers in terms of traveling so i've welcomed the space um and it's been really nice being at home but of course i mean there's ups and downs (laughs) it's not all all good (laughs) now what in terms of busyness like how and how busy you are is it because you're like scared of slowing down and just being still and 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 you've kind of you were resisting it in a way uh not at all i'd say i'm i'm those typical i'm i'm a typical person that is sort of i have fomo fear of missing out <laughs> so i'll i'll sort of i'll book things in and then i'll strategically give myself two to three days in between but then things will pop up and i'm like i can't say no to that that's really good mm. and then i'll squeeze it in to the days that i'm supposed to take off and then all of a sudden, all of those days are filled and I go, oh my God, what have I done? Mm. That's crazy. And then you sort of, you've committed and then you have to do it. And no, I'm, I'm the, I sort of, maybe it's because I'm the eternal optimist of thinking it's all going to work itself out. <laughs> and then you're standing there going, oh my God, what did I just do? Um, yeah. yeah, not this- a good idea to do that. <laughs> this is... A lot of people, a lot of my friends have said this is such a nice time to have that kind of guilt-free doing nothing. You know, you don't feel obliged to be anywhere. People have called it, is it JOMO, joy of missing out now? Because you don't have to be anywhere. You can't be anywhere. So you just have to be enjoy being at home, doing nothing. Not nothing, but, you know, slowing down, yeah. as you say. I love that. And also, you know what? It's also kind of, I think one of the biggest lessons it's taught me is sort of to think about, Think about what you're saying yes to, Mm. because I feel that I've spent so many years saying yes to everything because you're sort of on a constant roll of, well, you want to succeed and you're really passionate about what you do. So you keep saying yes to things, but it's definitely made me think how many things have I said yes to that sort of benefited me in the right way. Um, not talking finances, but, you know, sort mm. of on a heart and emotional level or sort of growing level. So I'm definitely going to take that into account when things 
maybe start getting busy or not. I think a lot of things have changed in terms of how we're going to work in the future. And, you know, I don't think we're going to go and do as many face-to-face meetings anymore. I think those Mm. will sort of be left for special occasions. Mm. I think a lot of more people are going to be working from home. Mm. But it's definitely made me think uh, of what I've been saying yes to and sort of accepting and doing. Yeah, in terms of how things are changing, have you felt there's more people at home wanting your content, like wanting your books, wanting your recipes, actually having time to eat in a better way and think about how they're eating a little bit more? Because like as a Londoner, I just I just run around each day mm, grabbing so what I can. Yeah. The idea of yeah. cooking is lovely. The reality of it is not that Doesn't accessible. The, probably the best I eat is when I'm on a retreat with you. Sorry, Holly, but... Uh... <laughs> Cheeky. <laughs> Cheeky. Well, Holly's got the book. I've been, I've been hearing that Holly's been cooking loads. I have. This is, I'm, an, I'm a chef now, basically. <laughs> Not quite there. I think we're all, I think we're all chefs. I think uh, one of the silver linings of this lockdown is that people have taken time to cook for themselves. Mm. And I've always said that one of the best things that you can do to yourself from a wellness perspective or from a nurture, nurturing perspective is to cook from scratch um, because you know exactly what goes into your pot and you know exactly what's going into your body and it, it gets you interested in ingredients and then in return it gets you interested in where those ingredients come from so it builds a connection to your food whereas if you're running around and grabbing stuff from shops and eating on the go you lack that connection and we're eating together as families more from the lockdown so mm. people are actually sitting at the same table um which brings in community and food and community is a huge thing mm. um and 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 that's those elements are things that we as a society have lacked or have had less of because generations don't live with each other anymore um, people don't live in the same countries or in the same cities anymore. So that lack of connection and community is is definitely. I mean, hello, how has that come? That's just come in straight away with lockdown because we've been forced to <laughs> sit together and eat and cook together, which is amazing in it's, many ways. It's so true. It takes me back to my my childhood actually when you say that because you know, me and Adam, we're just constantly running around London all the time, like you said, just grabbing food on the go. And we used to sit down as a family and go around the table and talk about our day. And the, and food was obviously such a big part of that with your homemade meals from your mum. So it's been so yeah. nice to, to go back to that and, and cook again. And your book is so accessible, you know, because I'm not a cook. I've never really um, dabbled in it much in my life. So it's really refreshing to come across something that you, you take things back to basics as well. You use, you know, plant-based food, but it's, it's kind of, old school vegetables like cabbage and potatoes and I love what you said in one of your interviews that potatoes are demonized <laughs> yes <laughs> and me and Adam, so yeah we were talking about potatoes. this the other day <laughs> can you talk about potatoes because they're not bad are they they come Hang from on, the okay, ground can we just say no. as a, as a disclaimer we're getting like Abel and Cole boxes delivered and <laughs> you ask Holly asked for no potatoes <laughs> and every week we get them and Holly is saying oh the little fucking potatoes <laughs> the little again demons pop up <laughs> eat me (laughs) tell us about potatoes Uh, potatoes (laughs) no i think i think carbohydrates are demonized in general Mm. and you know people have been on this protein bandwagon for so long protein shakes and all sorts and potatoes and pasta and rice are those three things that usually sort of get cut out straight away when you mm. go on a protein diet. But potatoes are really good for you and they come in all shapes and sizes and they're delicious as oh, a mash yes. or roasted or just added into stews and stuff. And they get a bad rap and carbohydrates in general get a bad rap, but we need them and they sustain us and they give us energy. And this makes I me don't so happy. think any foods should be demonized. Um, as much but I mean if we open up that sort of conversation in terms of diets and fads like opening up a can of worms because there's so much out there it's confusing Mm. I think yeah and that's like what healthy eating is is so that's what kind of like your book it doesn't feel 
Well, as a book's called one of the books, happy eating. It's not about eating healthy. It's not about cutting and getting abs. It's just about eating in a way that almost creates happiness as a whole, not just mm. in your body, but beyond that. And I've been on many retreats with many kind of retreat chefs uh, serving healthy food in the, whatever that means. And often like I've experienced either stodge, like it's just been variations of like a stew and it, it's like it yeah. does nothing for me or it's been basically nothing. Like the food has just been where I need more food. <laughs> I'm starving. Sprouts. Yeah, absolutely starving. <laughs> Whereas your food, it feels like normal food, but just good, wholesome, healthy, healthy food. So what would you, what, how would you describe your cooking or your kind of menu philosophy? Um, so when I started cooking at wellness retreats, I, I co-founded, that's how I started basically. I co-founded wellness retreats in Southern Spain and because I've had a lifelong passion for cooking, I thought, oh my gosh, this is my opportunity to cook for a living because I was always, my background is in hotel management and food and beverage, and I've worked in restaurants since I was 15, but I was always front of house. Okay. Uh, but I always had this lifelong passion for cooking, and my parents were like, there's no future in being a chef. There's no way you can, you know, you're not going to culinary school. So the closest I could get to the industry was, was, um, studying hotel management so i did well lo and behold this opportunity came to co-found the wellness retreats and i was like this is my opportunity to cook on them mm. and i had a couple of swedish books because instagram wasn't really happening at the time and we decided to do vegan and gluten-free food and my choice of where i would get my produce from was spanish farmers markets mm. so I had Spanish farmers markets to go to. So anything that was in season and local would be sort of the base of my cooking uh, with addition of good pulses and good grains and sort of what I could find in health food shops at the time. And that's sort of been the basic of my cooking. Whatever I can find that's seasonal and local as possible and organic if possible as well. And just good basic products like good grains, good pulses, nuts and seeds. And that forms the basis of pretty much all my cooking. So I'd say it's it's good ingredients, but things like Holly said, potatoes, cabbage, I call them the forgotten vegetables. <laughs> they, <They're> are. Super, <laughs> they are. They are. It's like it, they're super basic, but they deserve to be made the hero of of your plate and yeah. there's many many ways that you can eat them in instead of like you said you know there's there's more to them than a stew <laughs> or a salad or you know a, a baked sweet potato with a filling there's more to those foods and those ingredients they deserve more basically so mm. that's kind of been my philosophy in, in a very long story <laughs> so when did when did you when you did these wellness things at the beginning, was it how many years ago? Was it seven years ago, eight years ago? Is it before they that were a thing? Was, yeah, so this was, I think, in Isle, yeah, it must be seven to eight years ago now. And that was before, before plant-based or veganism or this whole, it's become a show now in terms yeah. of it's, it's taken over, hasn't it? Um, yeah, before that happened. So, a good few years so what did you did you create this opportunity or did someone approach you to be involved in it so um basically i had a business partner and we just started we i worked at a, re, at a retreat center and we just thought we can do this better and it was yeah. very popular to do uh, like uh, boot camps and juice cleanses at the time mm -hmm. okay and we thought instead of sort of starving our clients we'll let them eat but we'll let them eat really good food and we'll do plant-based and gluten-free as a rule and then sort of the point was to show how much abundance there is and how much you can actually eat but without knowing that you've cut out things so making people realize that they can eat really well on this type of diet um and then make them forget that they're not having alcohol that they're not having yeah. caffeine wow. that they're not having sugar especially when you're on retreat um and this was combined with yoga and very quickly it's sort of we got into Connors travel magazine through daisy finer oh, wow. it was the spa editor at the time so that sort of jump-started things and then 
sort of three and a half years in, I sold my part of the business and then I started Katina's Kitchen, which is now, yeah, five years ago. And five what? years ago. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's getting on. <laughs> So that's that's that's, oh God, that's God, London, yeah. isn't it? London, it just all flies by. So, did you at this point? Know, did you com- did you completely quit the front of house immediately, all that stuff and the management f- immediately, and go straight into setting up the retreat company, or was it like a gradual process? No, I quit my job basically. Uh, I quit my job and then went straight into the wellness industry. And at the same time, I struggled um, health issues, so I. I must have been 20, I always forget, it's 26 or 27, but I basically found out I had polycystic ovary syndrome and endometriosis, which sometimes goes hand in mm-hmm. hand, and was told that I would basically never have children, which oh, was God. a complete shock um, at that age. And it was exactly the same time as I started this new business. Um and yes I went in from one to the other at the same time having been told this so I kind of changed my whole life around I was very very unhealthy beforehand Mm. I mean anyone who's in the food and beverage industry knows (laughs) that you it's not a healthy industry I mean you almost have to smoke to be able to go and have a break Mm. it's sort (laughs) of I mean in those times it was like you don't just go out for five minutes and breathe to take a break breathe smoke uh you sort of yeah you you go to have a cigarette Mm -hmm. or you know you have fizzy drinks on tap which has got lots of sugar and i mean when i was in my teens i was like addicted to coca-cola yeah um i used to wake up in the morning and all i wanted was a cold coca-cola with ice you know you would go to work and it would just be available adam still does that don't you adam (laughs) no no, casually No, I, Adam's breakfast drink. Oh my God. I, I had I had a little. <laughs> what? I, no, very. I had a little period after I finished uni and before I went off into like Korea. I had a year managing a university bar, and it was just like that. I was just constantly just feeding myself on Coke, on Fanta, and then I had an obsession oh with God. slush puppies. So easy. And so I bought a slush puppy machine for the bar. So of course, no one bar. else wanted a slush puppy machine, but I bought one for the bar, <laughs> and then just and just found myself having like a liter of slush puppy every day. Oh my god! And then everything yeah. coming out of me was the wrong color. It was. <laughs> oh, <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> oh terrible! No, but it's, it's so it's so addictive. It's like it was a serious. I mean, it sounds crazy in hindsight but it was like a serious problem to give up because you you get so addicted to the sugar and to the sort of feeling of I don't know it's so good (laughs) and then once you start having it so you say you were quite you were unhealthy so what was the point when that changed did you find out you were ill and then thought okay I need to sort this out it's diet related or did something else happen to make you shift into being healthy or what happened there it, it was definitely my doctor's appointment where I thought, you know, I've not had, I, I didn't have my period for months on end. Mm. And I thought it's just, you know, I don't know what's happened here. It'll probably be something that is fixable. But then when you sit at a, a doctor's appointment and they say, you know, you're probably never going to have children. I'm so sorry. It was such a shock. Mm. And I was on my own actually, because I thought, um, I don't know, something definitely changed in me then and then I sort of entered the journey of this wellness journey of cooking and um, I actually went I went strictly vegan and gluten-free once I started uh, running and cooking at these retreats it sort of fell into place and then I did lots of research um, I changed lots of habits so it wasn't just the food it was sort of an overall change but um actually i the thing is i did fall pregnant seven seven months afterwards wow. Wow. Do you so think, seven months do you think that was related sorry to interrupt you um, you know you changing your lifestyle no. um i definitely think so this is the thing i don't often talk about this and i've had a lot of PRs and things that have gone this is what we're going to talk about and focus yeah. on but I, I always think that then it becomes about that sure. and nothing else mm-hmm. 
I think, I definitely think that it's related to the shift that I had in my lifestyle. Mm. Um, and I did lots and lots of research, but I was taking supplements um, and all sorts of things. So I think all of that had an effect, yeah. including the food. But I would never say sure. this is the diet that you should go on mm -hmm. and it's going to sort you out. And mm -hmm. everybody's got PCOS and endometriosis. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. yeah. So I you... never want to claim that. Mm -hmm. But yes, I definitely think that my lifestyle and everything I did had some kind of effect on it. Sure. And so were you pregnant when you went on your first retreat, when you organized your first retreat? So... Yes, here's the thing. So my daughter has kind of been a big part of that journey. So yeah, I was I wasn't pregnant for the first few retreats and then I was pregnant all the way throughout until two weeks before I had her, I was finishing off my last retreat because Well, two weeks before. Wow, you could have been giving yeah, I, I was I was waddling in the corridor. Where were you? <laughs> what, what country? In the in Spain. So she came two weeks early. So I thought, great, I'm, I've got two weeks to be fine. I'd, I'd actually booked a workshop with a very good friend of mine and who's a, who's a client, Rebecca, on the day that I went to the doctor because um, we sort of felt that something wasn't right. Went to the doctor's office and the doctor basically went, right, she's got to come out now today wow. in an hour I've got to book you in and wow. I had to call my client and go I'm so sorry I can't do your workshop but it's just <laughs> does she understand though it's a, of course she's like what you're having a baby no <laughs> as you do oh my god. as you do but it's uh yeah so she was a big part of that and I took four and a half months off and then after five months we started doing retreats again so you know, she's been a she's been a very big part of that. But she was she was also the reason I stopped and started Bettina's Kitchen because it was all um, accessible. I didn't have to travel as much, um, so I took a break from it. But then, as you know, I met some other business partners and then sort of got dragged back into mm -hmm. the wellness industry. So did retreats with them for three years and then was not going to do retreats anymore and then Jules as you know <laughs> sort of <laughs> pulled me back in with the shiny countries that I wanted to go <laughs> to and I was like oh yeah okay then <laughs> was Mongolia was Mongolia <laughs> the big sell Mongolia no I think Zanzibar was sort of the one that she l lured me in with and mm. I was like oh yeah I want to go to Zanzibar and then that was it. I started working with Jules. We've had a really big theme of like preg women that are pregnant or have just given birth absolutely killing it. Like we've oh, had, yeah, Ella yeah. from Soul Circus. <laughs> we've yeah. had like Ella, yeah, for a few interviews ago from Soul Circus. She set up a yoga studio and opened it like while nine months pregnant. Just and about then to give birth, yeah. when she was about to give birth the second time, she was, she was launching her yoga festival. The first one. It's like yeah. a thousand people or something. <laughs> oh my God. And then Katarina Rayburn, oh, nice. who is like super pregnant right now. Yeah. Like, and doing like handstands and has just opened a yoga studio, yeah, etc. These power women. There must be something in it. Mate, I wonder like if you're I don't know. extra inspired about future while whilst pregnant or what Yeah, actually that's a, yeah, one of the girls said that they, they had a real creative energy when they were pregnant. Did you feel that or are you generally always quite creative um i definitely so i think i think i generally have a lack of hormones in in general so like some women that get pregnant probably have too much hormones mm. and it sort of sends you a bit wacky wacky whereas <laughs> i felt that it, bal <laughs> it balanced me out right. so it was ah. kind of like the extra boost of hormones was really good for me. It sort of, mm. it was kind of what I was lacking. So I felt really balanced and really enjoyed my pregnancy mm. um, and sort of felt very energized. And you do get, because you're sort of constantly, I guess, growing something, you get a boost of energy. I don't know. It, you definitely feel like you sort of, for me at least, I sort of felt like I had superpowers. Mm. I wish I could sort of tap into that now. And oh, know. wow. Oh, yeah, give me some them. of that. Oh, I love that. And what, um, 
what's it kind of like teaching on, uh, like cooking on retreats? Because I guess a lot of people see it and it looks very glamorous. Like, oh, all these fantastic countries and mm. what you just have to rustle up some food an hour before lunchtime. And I've seen how hard you guys work. <laughs> it's like rel- relentless. Did you go back into the kitchen and see? Well, I, mainly when I went to the coffee, I would just slide past. <laughs> coffee five. Just, yeah. But yeah, so how, how is it? Like, what is it like oh for you God. cooking on retreats? It's, I mean, it's hard work. People think, oh, yeah, I want to go to Zanzibar. And, you know, sometimes what happens at retreats, and depending on who organizes them or how they're run, you won't you, you won't go out of your kitchen. I mean, you're in the kitchen 24-7, and it's like early mornings. You've got to be very organized so that you do get some time off. But it's intense, and you work in environments that you haven't worked in before, so you have to settle in and set up very quickly. Um, you might not be able to find the ingredients that you want to find, which sort of you can either sort of panic or go with the flow you work with teams that sometimes don't speak your language Mm. like um and sometimes don't want you to even be there Mm. (laughs) and are going what the hell are you doing in my kitchen who are you i didn't agree to this but their boss did um so it's really really intense actually i realized that there must be a niche in the market for this because I got asked loads of questions from people running retreats um, with their chefs on the retreats. And I thought, hang on a second, they're asking me all these questions and surely the people that are working for them should know all of this. So it's what made me set up the Retreat Chef Academy where Mm -hmm. I teach people how to be retreat chefs. It's like a one-week intensive course because I realized that being a traditional chef is sort of it's not enough you need a whole different skill set to be a retreat chef because anything can change as you know adam if you're in iceland and the weather changes then all of a sudden you have to do the menu from you know you have to switch days and you have to switch menus if you haven't bought enough food the nearest store is four hours away so you can't go to the store and get stuff you have to be very organized um you have to be good with people because you're working with people that you don't know so yeah it's hard work and it's i guess it's so different to traditional chefing that i set up a chefing school and it's been full like all my courses have been fully booked um, which has been amazing and Uh, what what kind of people come to it is it is it already qualified chefs or is it people that are just intrigued by it um both so qualified chefs that think gosh you know it would be amazing to travel the world and cook and also the pay is better on a weekly basis than what you would get in a traditional kitchen working Mm -hmm. 18 hours a day and then i get uh lots of students that have decided to change their lives and go cooking is my passion Mm -hmm. i really want to give this a go um and then you you don't always end up becoming a retreat chef. You know, those kind of skill sets, I guess because it's plant-based, you can apply those type of uh, skill sets to a new business if you're opening a plant-based business. Um, so, yeah, a, a whole bunch of people mm. come uh, for different reasons. I had a retired lady uh, who wanted to do more private chefing. Um that's based in Goa, an amazing lady called Yolanda. Um, that sort of, yeah, had retired but wanted to do something fun and gain a skill set. So, mixed bag of people, really. Yeah. Ten years ago, if you looked forward to where you are now, would you be surprised, or are you someone that's always kind of had goals and mapped your life out and know where you're going to head, or has it been quite an organic process to get to where you are now? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I would have never imagined I was going to be doing what I'm doing. Mm. I think um, it's interesting because before I started cooking, I didn't feel like I was doing what I was supposed to do. And is that I felt I was sort of go is, on? Is that when you were in hospitality? Yes. Yeah. I loved I loved doing hospitality. But it was really, really intense mm. and knackering. And 
quite unhealthy. It's a really unhealthy lifestyle. And I don't know, when I started cooking and doing retreats, I sort of felt like I belonged mm. and that I'd found my path and that I was sort of on the right track of what I was supposed to do. Mm. Um, and no, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm a goal setter for sure. And I've got sort of, I've, I'm very visual with what I set out to do, but I don't write things down. I don't write life plans and things like that because I think that if you plan too much, then you might miss out on the stuff that's supposed to happen to you. Oh, I love that. And it's almost, yeah. And it's almost like you're narrowing your future down to just a few possibilities when your possibilities are, if you're doing the right thing, then your poss- your possibilities are endless. Yeah. And there's so many things that might happen to you as long as you're doing what you love and what you're passionate about, things will come to you. Um, and we were talking about this before, you said, Adam, uh, <laughs> how hard it is to get to where you want to be. I think, I think it's really important to always work towards your goals of so my goal is to do better or um to do things that make me feel good and then usually things happen to me but you can't sort of just lie in bed and wish for things to happen Mm. and not work towards those things Mm. i'd go to that's what i quite like about that is you're saying that you want to do better for yourself you want to improve but you're not kind of attaching random objective targets. Like Mm. I want my book translated into 50 languages by the time I'm this age. I think that's that's the stuff that constrains people. Having a rough direction is wonderful, but having specific objective direction, I think is massively, massively limiting. Works for some people, but I think if you can focus on how you want to feel, then like you said, it opens up endless possibilities and brings in all the magic. Yeah, definitely. And also, I've also realized that things happen at the right time. Yeah. You might not think that they do. And there's a lot of sort of, there's a lot of things that I look back at going, oh my gosh, if that had happened, you know, would would it have been the right time for me? Would I have handled the responsibility Mm. the way that I would have handled now? Was I ready? Was I mature enough? Um, Mm. The thing is, once you start talking about your opinions publicly or in interviews or on Instagram, you can't really take them back. Mm. And in that way, I kind of feel like things have, it's taken time and there's so much more I want to do, but things have happened at the right time, even though, even though it's taken its time, basically. Like my, my husband is, uh, he likes to write lists and focuses on things. And mm. um, yeah, I like the, I like things to just happen. And yeah. they happen at the right time, at the right place, even if you think that they don't. And patience and persistence, I think, are key mm. to sort of... That's good advice. It, it almost feels like... I- when you were, you've talked a lot previously about like your childhood being surrounded by food from so mm. many different cultures because you've got this you've got lots of countries in your heritage uh and i almost feel like you you started your journey there and actually all of your like late late teens and early 20s were kind of this waiting where you were patiently waiting to return back to food mm, that's nice yeah so yeah. i just so yeah so how much do you think that influenced where you are now that childhood of constantly being in markets and eating food from around the world? Um, a hundred percent. I mean, my, my, my parents were foodies. We, we used to go on holidays and all we used to talk about or go to were food markets. Like we didn't really go to museums or, you know, look at history or party buildings or anything like that. <laughs> And I grew up in Tanzania for my first 11 years in Dar es Salaam, where everything had to be made from scratch. Uh, There weren't any sort of traditional shops. We would go to the market a couple of days a week. We would go and get milk from one cow. Hmm. And I'd sit with a massive bucket of milk in the back Hmm. hunting. And we had a freezer full of butter from scratch. Um, Yeah, and then so... From, from that perspective, I learned that 
to make something good, you have to have patience. So if it was pizza night, everything was made from scratch. Um, my grandmother lived in Sweden, so she's got the Scandi heritage. My dad's Norwegian. My mom's Bulgarian, Danish. So mm. every time, and my mum's side of the family, massive foodies, always went to the market to buy stuff fresh. Uh, my <laughs> my grandmother would never ever buy a frozen chicken, like <laughs> ever. So she would go to the market, buy the chicken, and then sort of. You know. Oh wow! Uh, Is that the Bulgarian put, one? Put it, put it, put it to sleep in the back garden, and oh. then voila! There it is. <laughs> and then, yeah, there it is. Um, and yeah, my grandmother, my my Norwegian grandmother, lived in Sweden, and she used to have green fingers and grow everything and pickle everything and. Mm. So I had sort of a good base to learn from, and then as a family, we travelled a lot. Mm. So I'd definitely say it's given me a really good base for flavors and sort of incorporating lots of spices and um, good produce. What do you think that I, I spent a lot of time in Bulgaria, which I didn't expect, but I've been there like 10 times now, uh, been with lots of like locals. I think their food is massively underrated. Like every time I go to Bulgaria, I have the most incredible food, whether it be their salads. What else have I had that like meatballs? Uh, like what what would you say the best thing about bulgarian food in particular like what have you taken from the bulgarian cuisine um so but yeah i think bulgarian food is really underrated um and they've got a lot of vegan and vegetarian dishes actually because traditionally you before christmas and before easter you um what's it called you you go vegan basically for 40 days lent Yes, you go into Lent, that's what it's called. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they've got a lot of vegan, vegetarian, actually vegan dishes because Lent is no animal products whatsoever. So, yeah, there's lots of amazing dishes that you can have. And on the day before Christmas, it's called Budni Vecher. You have an uneven number of dishes, which is like nine or 11 dishes, all vegan um that you sit down and enjoy as a family so they've got and um, they've got lots of influences from greece uh lots of influences from turkey they were under the ottoman empire for hundreds of years so very very similar food um lots and lots of fresh produce mm. amazing amazing produce especially in summer like mm. the tomatoes are ridiculously good and actually their wine wine yes. in bulgaria is bloody amazing so good yeah, really got, really good we've got a little bulgarian salad around the corner from us you've got the little wine shop loads of bulgarian wine in there and the, bul- so the bulgarian wine is the cheapest but by far really tasty the best mm. Mm. Were any it's you- really really good yeah were any of your family in the food industry like work- worked in the food industry uh, no so no, you- that's so interesting that everyone was such a foodie but you were the first one to take the footsteps into my, the food industry and work there my yeah my grandmother my grandmother worked as a chef mm. uh during some period of her life and my bulgarian auntie was an amazing amazing cook incredible cook they were all very good cooks but not in the not in the industry no not at all so did you feel that you um because when you're kind of the only person doing what you're doing it can be quite a scary leap can't it so did you have and your family said that there wasn't really any money to be made in being a chef so did you have that big resistance like was it a big scary leap and did you have doubt or did you just think I'm doing this it's my you know I'm going for it I think I don't think my parents were impressed (laughs) and I mean I I wouldn't say from a monetary point of view like yeah, for the first three or four years, I mean, I wasn't making lots of money. Mm. It's really, really hard. Mm. Uh, and retreats in particular, people think that you make lots of money on retreats. It's it's really, really difficult. So I wouldn't, yeah, I'd say I sort of, I didn't make loads of money in, in the first few years. And if you sort of give up then, then yeah you've got to sort of 
persist and yeah. if you know that you're doing something that you're really passionate about yeah it was definitely not for the money uh, did <laughs> because you, that wasn't really happening like did you have to begin with. did you have any teachers or kind of not gurus but mentors. any teachers mentors guidance in those first few years that helped you stick with it uh in the first few years i think i was surrounded by surrounded by very good friends and i mean the likes of daisy finer that used to work for Condé nest i think she's now with country and townhouse she's she was always a massive support i think i think there's pinnacle people sort of throughout that believe in you and you sort of need one person or a few people to sort of guide guide and and i think everyone that i've worked with along the way in the last seven years has taught me something mm. and i have to say my husband's been a massive support mm. because as i said i mean the first few years definitely not a money-making operation sort of you make a little bit of money and then you sort of reinvest it into your business it's all about mm. reinvesting it so that you can become better at what you do and he's been a massive massive support so mm. i mean and with our daughter we've always sort of he's fully taken responsibility as a parent mm. and looked after our daughter when when i've been away and vice versa so it's always been a 50 50 partnership which i know i'm really lucky to have because right. not everyone has that yeah ours is 90 um, ours is 90 10. Me and, him. <laughs> honestly oh. <laughs> so what in my favor 90, 90, nine, no, holly's 90 you <laughs> pull, pull your weight husband <laughs> no <laughs> it's so true though i, I remember yeah, someone pull yeah someone said to me once and it really helped me because you know when you haven't really got many people around you doing the same thing it just takes what do they say borrow you can borrow someone else's belief in yourself until you believe that you can do it and that always really stuck with me I thought that was nice if you just have one person yeah. that believes in you and gives That's you that nice. support and that yeah that always really helped me that is so true and actually on a similar note um someone once said something along the lines of you've got a mountain to climb but at the end at the end of your journey you're going to be the one that's standing up at that mountain on your own because nobody else can help you sort of get there you can sort of get pushes and shots yeah. but essentially you've got to do it on your own and yeah. i think self-belief is a massive thing mm. um and i don't know i think you kind of i don't know about you guys but you kind of know when you're doing what you're supposed to do absolutely there's a feeling of mm. yeah. there's a feeling of belonging there's a feeling like everything is sort of slotted into place and you just know that this is what you were meant to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I've said this a few times in conversations, this massive difference between wanting to be, let's say, a retreat chef and actually wanting the life that a retreat chef yeah. leads. And there's a big difference. And it's actually when you're in it, still enjoying yes. it, not just liking the idea of it or liking the Instagram mm. image of it or like. Yeah, I think when you're really aligned with, as you say, the thing you're supposed to do, you kind of, you know that the challenges that come in your path, they're part of the journey, they're part of the process. It's almost like a test. You're like, okay, bring it on. I'm gonna move past you and keep going. Exactly, or you don't even see them as challenges. Yeah. They're just part of the package. Exactly, and it's yeah. not it's not a it's it's not a problem. Mm. It's just something that's you need to move around. Mm -hmm. uh, did you did exactly. you did you have much kind of formal like education along the way? Like during this during this career, this current career? Um I did so once I sort of thought this is definitely what I want to do. Um, when I started Bettina's Kitchen, I also did a course uh, run by Matthew Kenny, who is a vegan raw chef. He's uh, huge in the US and he used to have a culinary school uh, called Plant, Plant Lab or something like that. Um, and I did a few of his courses and also that same year Roberta and I went on holiday to LA with Isla, nice. our daughter and sort of um, yeah we went we went to sort of check out the food scene so 
Um, that's the only sort of training I've had, but those are online classes. Read lots of books. I mean, I always learn new techniques and sort of pick up food from the countries and the retreats that I do um, from the local teams. So, but I'm essentially self-taught and I don't even like the term chef. I, I prefer cook. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm a yeah, I'm a cook. Put me in a put me in a sort of simple kitchen, and I'm fine. <laughs> put me in a situation where I'm in a sort of proper kitchen with all the gear. I'm like, oh my god, I've got no idea. What to do. <laughs> I sort of look. I look behind the chefs and have a look at how they switch things on because yeah. I'm like, no clue. Did you a- any particularly notable like retreat experiences like working with local teams? Uh, I'd say Mongolia for sure is incredible uh the team there is amazing it's a full female team um nobody speaks english i've got a translator (laughs) translates everything for me so that team is amazing i had a really good experience in costa rica where i was cooking with two elderly ladies um Mm. sort of Costa Rican grandmas and they were amazing I Mm. mean I'm still in touch with one of them Um, so they taught me loads about Costa Rican food I don't know I think that's that's what I love sort of learning from other cultures and adapting recipes and Mm. taking produce that they take for granted but creating something completely new Mm. and that's sort of an exchange of oh my gosh I didn't know that you could do that with mangoes yeah because in Costa Rica for example you'll eat mangoes a certain way and then sort of I'll come along and go oh look what you can do (laughs) and then they'll show me what you can do with something else Mm. and then they don't need language it's sort of a food language food language yeah what a nice way to learn yeah would you be open to telling us about a super a super stressful experience in the kitchen? <laughs> oh my god! I think Adam was. I just kept my distance and occasionally helped like, bring kitchen stuff Grab in. Grab coffee and go. Yeah. Oh my god! Tuscany was intense. It was like forty-five people yeah. in total. And that is obscene. That is obscene for a treat, isn't that it? It's is a big retreat. Like, isn't two it? teachers. I mean, yeah, two teachers. That was, I think, that was my least out of all. That was my least favorite <laughs> retreat. It was just really, but it was stressful because of many, many circumstances. Um, what else has happened? No, I think that was just that was a very stressful retreat because yeah. we lost a member of we lost a we we lost somebody on the team. Uh, they, they, didn't, they didn't die. Let's just go. <laughs> just oh, no, just they didn't die. They didn't die. Adam's didn't yoga die. class no, killed them. We just, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, somebody from the somebody from the team sort of wasn't there. Mm. Uh, so we were we ended up catering for forty five people, and it was just three of us in the kitchen. Oh my gosh! It was the hottest, hottest summer. We were sweating. Oh my god! What a detox! <laughs> Jesus! Uh, <no>. Let's let's <laughs> and a few other a few. I just want to jump forward. So we, we haven't talked about <laughs> the big steps forward in your career. Like so, we've talked about you starting the retreats and yeah, building that, but now you've got what two books? No, three books. You got three books out. I I've think. got two books out, and uh, I'm I'm writing a third. Okay, oh, so oh, three so three books coming, and you on t- you on TV the day, weren't you? What were you on? I was on James Martin. Yeah, so you are you are like a big yeah. deal now, like books, TV appearances, <laughs> magazines. You're everywhere. Followed by Jamie like, Oliver. How did how, how did how did that step happen? From going from yeah retreat you know retreat cooking that's going well to being such a big deal. <laughs> I'm not a big deal. Um, Humble. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, I think when I felt I, I, I got my first book deal uh, three years ago. Yeah, three years ago. And was basically, I did a retreat in Lakes by You, actually. And then it was for a bunch of journalists. And one of the journalists that was there, uh, came to the retreat, thought the food was great. 
she was like, you should do a book. I know somebody. And then she introduced me to a literary agent and met the literary agent. And then that's how I got my first book deal. But it's many, many months of sending your proposal to different publications. People think it happens so quickly. Yeah. It actually takes a really long time. And then from there, I did Happy Food and moved because of happy food we moved to london as a family because i ended up for the last three years living in spain so i lived in southern spain for 12 years so we only moved to london about two and a half years ago so i ended up traveling lots back and forth to london for work and that wasn't sustainable with uh, our daughter mm -hmm. so we decided to move to london and moving to london i mean in Marbella, where I lived for 12 years, I was the only person doing what I was doing. Uh, yeah. Whereas moving to London was an, a, a big step and also so amazing in terms of entering the food world. I was like, mm. wow, I'm sort of, I'm in the thick of it, which is amazing. Um, there's so much going on in this big city. So that sort of, that makes you then sort of look at PRs and then you get an agent and then once you get an agent some PR then you start doing press and that's sort of how you get into things um, but yeah lots of hard work I mean lots of people wanting to do the same thing so persistence and patience yeah, <laughs> is I love definitely that. two words that I live by and doing what you're really passionate about and constantly learning and re-educating yourself and keeping your eyes on the ball in terms of, I think if you're doing the same thing all the time, it becomes boring. So finding ways of learning more, like I'm doing a course now over the summer, a cooking course. I'm doing a cooking course online to sort of broaden my skill set and to be more creative and to learn uh, other techniques um, I constantly try and update myself every holiday that we go to I have a list of like food markets and restaurants that we go to so it's like a constant learning curve mm. um, and and hard work so yeah the tv thing James Martin I mean months and months of knocking on doors and yeah. having an amazing amazing agent who's sort of made that happen and yeah, trying to trying to be innovative and creative as, as much as possible. And I guess taking risks as well, because like you know, even to invest in an agent and PR, that's a risky step, and I'd be willing to take that. Is is brave, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think. Uh, I think. I mean, I could have sort of, in, from a monetary perspective, I constantly reinvest. I could very easily sort of make what I make and then have a happy life. But I reinvest in PRs or in education or like the Retreat Chef Academy, setting that up or constantly sort of not reinventing, but reinvesting in mm. To, to be better and to do better and to reach more people and to re-educate more people, get more people liking vegetables and incorporating them onto their plates. Even um, potatoes. Pardon? Even potatoes. Potatoes, Woo! even potatoes what? and carrots. I'm cooking sandwiches. them tonight. One, one, so one question I have that kind of follows on from that is you've, I guess you're around people a lot who are quite reflective, you know, being on yoga retreats around yoga teachers in the wellness industry, people reflecting on life in many ways. So what is wealth for you now? Like what does being wealthy look like for you? And what does that mean? Where are you going with that? Um, I definitely, also, since lockdown, I think time, time mm. is wealth because time is the only thing that we, we can't buy, we can't trade it and allowing yourself to have the time to do things creatively and taking time to almost also say no to things that 
are not going to elevate you or bring you joy. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of things that we do and we say yes to, to fill voids of time. And then when you look back at it, you go, how did that sort of, did that bring me joy? Well, actually, no, it was just quite stressful. Mm -hmm. And I could have done without that. So I think being able to spend quality time with my family and being able to have the time to do things really, really well and doing less things but better things mm. work-wise. Mm. So instead of doing, yeah, uh, too much and um, lots of things at the same time, less but more quality. Yeah. It's good for everyone. Should we do, do some quick, quick guys? We'll do some quick fires now. We've got a few minutes. So these can be quick. You can answer more like in more detail Ooh. if you want. <laughs> but quick fire. Uh, I'll start. If, any purchase that you've made in the last year, less than £100, that has been really, really useful? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's put you on the spot, these questions. Uh, okay. Uh, this sounds so geeky, but you know one of these really old school mixers no. that your grandma had? Like the one with the handle and it, you... you know, the, yes. The wires. No, no, no. Like, <laughs> We're not good. No, we have no idea. Like, <laughs> you hold it like a, like ironing, but then it's got the two things. Oh, yes. Yeah, that, that was the electric one. Yes. Yes. Ah, okay. oh, my mum has so one. They're good. great. They're so good for making cakes, for making like homemade mayonnaise. Mm. So geeky, but love it. Oh, I didn't know they weren't a thing. I've, I've got no idea what's going on in the kitchen. I didn't know they'd gone and come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't have one for years. And I'm like... Life changer. Mm. <laughs> okay. If you could have one more meal in the whole world and then that was it for you, what would it be? Oh, my God. Uh, I'm so boring when it comes to this. Like people think that I like intrinsic, complicated things, but I love, I love a really, really good piece of sourdough, oh. like a really good piece of bread mm. with the beef tomatoes that you get in the summer, like the Spanish tomatoes mm -hmm. with good olive oil and then like good salt on top. That's that sounds dreamy. I'm hungry now. I, I've got an issue with beef tomatoes. <laughs> when I was a 19-year-old ignorant student i bought a, i treated myself to a posh sandwich with beef tomato on like it's I know beef tomato mozzarella and i got to the train station and i opened it it's like where's the beef that cost me four pounds where's the beef and i went and i went back to the shop like i missed my train to go back to that like, principal i what i paid for this That's so and funny. then i noticed there wasn't a comma between beef and tomato Oh my god! But nonetheless, thought well, not only <laughs> not only they're an injustice, but they can't they can't bloody do grammar. <laughs> How embarrassing oh for god. you! And yeah, that was cringy. That was hilarious. That was very very cringy. Okay, next <laughs> next quick fire question. Uh, what would you like to do more of? Oh, travel. A more. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I love traveling. I mean. I, I would just travel if I could. Okay, so what would be the country that you eat your last meal on earth in? <laughs> oh, uh, oh my God. I love, I love Bali. Mm. I love Bali. I keep going back to Bali and the food there is amazing. And there's a lot of incredible chefs that have moved to Bali mm -hmm. and a lot of amazing chefs that are from Bali there. Oh, food's amazing. It's really need to good. go there. So you're eating okay, your you're eating your sourdough in Bali, and Tomatoes. someone in a non creepy way is in, is kind of whispering an inspirational <laughs> quote in your ear, just to set the scene. What would, <laughs> what would that inspirational quote be? What would the inspirational quote be? This is uh, the finale. Oh, oh my gosh. Uh, Oh, uh, uh, uh. oh uh, expectations kills joy. Yes. Uh. It's, the, it's, it's one that always sticks with me. Mm. That's a really it's nice... To, 
it's to not expect anything and then whatever happens happens yeah happens is a good thing that's a really nice place to finish i think isn't it yeah we'll close on that one yeah thank you so much thank you hang on we need to thank you no no don't go don't go where do we find you but we need to know all of your like books and tell us what are your two books called Oh, you're disappearing. Oh, no. Ah. Have we actually gone? Oh, there you are. You're we, here. We're here. Uh, so no, no, you're here. You're here. All of your things that you want everyone to know about, your two books, Instagram. Uh, your Instagram, your website, anything you've got coming up. Oh, yes. Um, so you can find me on my Instagram. It's Bettina's underscore kitchen or just go Bettina's kitchen and you'll find me. My website is tinaskitchen.com and my latest book is seven day vegan challenge and happy food and actually yeah i think happy food's always going to be my number one baby and then seven day vegan challenge is sort of a smaller format with everyday recipes which is good as well so yeah thank you so much for having me honestly unbalanced